Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist. And uh, what a great service we've already had, and I am so glad that you're here. Hope everyone had an incredible Merry Christmas. Now it's time to flip the page and move on. Um, our pastor is away, as you can tell, and uh, he's on, on a much-needed vacation, so be in prayer for him as they'll be traveling back this week. But I'm, I'm glad I can be here to be a part of this service and bring you uh, a, wor- a word from God's Word a word that I hope will help us today. Well, I've titled my sermon, um, 2020 Living in 2020. And you may say, that's kind of strange. Well, let me try to explain that. But first, let me talk a little bit about the fact that in a couple of days, we will usher in not only a new year, but a new decade. And uh, I, I still think the year 2020 sounds futuristic and scientific like a sci-fi movie. It's just, it doesn't sound right. 2020. And I wonder, I wonder what new things we're going to see in this year to come. I wonder what new things we're going to see in this new decade that we're about to step into. I wonder what new things we'll see with our eyes, technology, as it continues to move at a rapid pace. What breakthroughs may we see in the areas of science and medicine? What things are we going to see in our culture with our politics and our government and all these things? What are we going to see? What amazing events are waiting for us to see with our very own eyes. And as I think about seeing new things, I'm reminded of my past. I didn't know this growing up. But I was born with a vision problem. That is, I couldn't see. Well, I didn't know that as a child. I thought everything that I saw was what everybody else saw. And so I went on through my early ages and elementary school, realizing that things were maybe not as clear for me, but I thought I was okay like everybody else. Because back then they made fun of you if you wore glasses. Y'all remember that? They called you four eyes and all this other stuff. So, the day came. A.O. Jones, I'm in the fifth grade. A.O. Jones is where the, old, where the post office is if you don't know much about the schools around here. A lot of you know where A.O. Jones Elementary School was, and here I was in class thinking it's going to be a normal day. No, they march us out of our class, take us down to, down to the end of the hall. I can tell you, put you exactly where I was when I walked up and I saw for the very first time this. Right there. And I'm like, what is that? And they had a piece of tape marked on the floor and you had to walk up to the tape and read a line they pointed to. Well, I knew I was in trouble real early because when I was in the line, I could see the first line I could see the second line, and if I squint squint my eyes real hard, I could read that third line. Well, that wasn't the line they were pointing to. So I knew I was in trouble. They were pointing that line way down toward the bottom. I'm like, who can see that? And I had to realize that I had a problem with my vision. Yeah, it was pretty pretty hilarious. She was pointing to that line, 
I said, uh, I can't read that line. She said, went up to the next line. I, I can't read that line either. She said, do you know your ABCs? Yes, I do. I just can't see them. Okay. And she had to work her way up to the third line, fourth line, and I took a stab and it wasn't right. And obviously, I needed glasses. And I remember the first time I put my glasses on. And some of you have been down this road. When I put my glasses on and I looked and I'm like, wow, I have x-ray vision. <laughs> this is how people see? I, I didn't know this. All of a sudden, I could see things so much clearer. And you may be sitting there asking, Shannon, why are you talking about your vision problem? Well, I'm glad you asked. The reason I share this story is because I think the physical vision problem is a great description of our spiritual vision problem. I think many people are living in the world today who claim to be followers of Christ and they're living with spiritual, what I call blurriness because they just cannot see the things of God and see how God is working and see what God's doing in their life. And, and also I think, in, I know that in our culture we have a problem with spiritual blindness because there are people who are lost and do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And because they don't know Christ, they are blind and cannot see. You will never be able to have what I call 2020 life using the 2020 vision analogy. You will never be able to live a 2020 life until you first see who you are, see who God is, and see who His Son is from His Word. In Psalm 1, and I want you to turn your Bibles there, or your phone, whatever you have. Uh, we're going to look at it, a really short passage, but a powerful passage uh, as we talk about the, having this 2020 life in the year 2020. David presents a contrast in this chapter. He presents a contrast between the way of blessing and the way of judgment. There's only six verses, but I think in these six verses, we're going to see some simple steps that we can apply to our life to help us live a 2020 life in 2020. So follow along as I read. This is not on the screen, so just follow along with me. Verse 1, Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This morning, I want to give you five steps, five steps that I see in this passage that will help each of us live a 2020 life in the, 20, in the year 2020. And the first thing I want to point out is that we need to handle our relationships with care. 
Handle our relationships with care. Going back to that first verse, it says, Blessed, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. You know, relationships can be a blessing or a burden, depending on who you have your relationships with. We need to be friends with those who do not know Jesus Christ in order to share Christ with them. But we don't need to be partners with sinners. Those that are wicked, want nothing to do with Christ. We don't need to be partners with them. We need to be able to talk to them and share them the things of Christ, share the gospel, but not be partners with them. We need to learn how to handle relationships. And how do we do that? Well, it says right here, three things. Number one, don't listen to the wrong people. And he's talking about do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It all begins with, count, with counsel. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you reading? What kind of music are you listening to? What are you watching on TV? What are you watching on internet? What are you watching on social media? How are those things impacting you? Because we are bombarded daily with people's opinions and advice and criticism. And I want you to be careful to who and what you listen to. Understand, not all advice is good advice. I don't care if it comes from the internet or a book. Not all advice is good advice. Make sure your counsel comes from godly people who love and care for you. You need to understand that what you see and what you listen to will shape your conduct. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Seek godly counsel and listen to people who love you, who love Jesus Christ, and desire the best for your life. That's the counsel you need to listen to. So don't listen to the wrong people. But the verse goes on. He says, don't linger with the wrong people. And that word linger may not ring with you. How about don't hang out with the wrong people? Maybe a better way for some of you to understand that. Because he says, don't stand in the way of sinners. Associating with those who live a lifestyle of sin will influence you and affect your views on sin. Hanging out with sinners will make you numb to sin. And instead of taking a stand for Jesus, you do not take a stand at all. Their priorities will become your priorities. And instead of imitating Christ, you begin to imitate the ways of the world. Relationships are important, and they can build you up or they can bring you down. Depends on who you hang around with. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, you may want to write that down in your note. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul says this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Let me say that one more time. Bad company corrupts corrupts good character. God expects us to guard who we have our relationships with. Don't ever downplay sin. 
by saying, oh, he's okay, he's okay, when you know he's living a lifestyle of sin and a lifestyle that dishonors God. Listen, don't downplay sin. Don't justify sin. Don't associate with unhealthy people. Don't stand with sinners. And he moves on. He says, don't learn. Don't learn from the wrong people. Talking about sit here. It says, don't sit in the seat of the scoffers. To walk where the wicked walk and to stand where sinners is stand is bad. But, but even worse is to sit where scoffers, those who mock the name of Jesus Christ, sit. Don't hang out with people who make fun of God, who mock him, make fun of his truth and his word. Don't you hang out with those people. Because when you sit with mockers, you have moved from thinking and living like sinners to now questioning the things and the truths of God. Sitting down is an expression that is used oftentimes of being comfortable. Don't you ever get comfortable with sin. Don't you ever get comfortable with hanging out with the wrong people. Sin is separation and death. Make sure you understand that. Life and salvation only come through Christ and Christ alone. So there's this progression that you see in verse 1. First, you're walking with those who are wicked. Then you decide to stand around and listen to what they have to say. To finally, you're comfortable and socializing and fellowshipping with those who are not pleasing to God. And if you want to have a 2020 life in the year 2020, Handle your relationships with care. Well, secondly, we see another thing here. Well, first of all, let me give you a, a little quote by Warren Wiersbe. He's one of my Bible heroes. He says it really well here. If you follow the wrong counsel, then you will stand with the wrong companions and finally sit with the wrong crowd. That is so true. Because the truth promise I want you to hear from this first, the truth is this, the counsel you follow determines the course of your life. Secondly, we see in this passage from Psalm 1-2, we see that we are to study scriptures with consistency. If we're going to live that 2020 life in the year 2020, we have got to get into God's word. Notice what he says about the man who's blessed. He said, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And I know that a blessed, successful life and ministry requires time in God's Word, period. You cannot do it outside time in God's Word. You need to read God's Word. You need to study God's Word, you need to know God's Word, and you need to practice God's Word. And that will never happen, I'm convinced of this, that will never happen until you fall in love with the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will give you a love for the written Word, God's Bible. You must fall in love with Jesus, and He will give you that desire for His Word. Because we need to delight. We need to delight in God's word. And this will have an amazing, amazing impact on our belief and our behavior. Study God's word consistently. And that's the key. Consistently. Don't just once in a while open up and read it. 
I'm talking about daily read God's word. You can go on Google, type in daily Bible reading plans, and it'll give you hundreds of them. I don't care what you use. Just get into God's word and read God's word. Don't just flippantly look at it. I'm all about a systematic approach to reading God's word. Find something that works for you. Understand that the Bible is God's love letter to you. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? You remember when you were dating and your wife or your girlfriend, maybe, whoever wrote you love letters, you know, how you love reading those? Some of y'all still have them. Carol said, yep, I got them. Still have them. But you know how much you love reading that? Just stop and think. The God who spoke everything to existence wrote you a love letter. He put it in a form you can read. He put it in a form you can carry in your hand or in your pocket. A love letter that he wrote for you to show you how much he loves you. And he loves you far more than you can possibly ever understand. His commandments and his truths are blessings and they're good. It should be no more of a duty to spend time in God's word as it is to spend time with someone you love. True happiness is to delight in God's word. It is a joy, not a burden. Learn it and live it. But he also talks about meditation. Don't be developed by God's word. Let God's word get in you and have an impact in your life. An impact in your mind and your heart and your thinking. Talks about meditation and memorizing here. Meditation is to the spirit what digestion is to the body. And when we meditate on the Word of God, we allow the Spirit of God within us to digest the Word of God, and we meditate on God's Word. And he says in this verse, we are to meditate day and night. People come to me sometimes and they say, Shannon, I don't know how to meditate on God's Word. Can you help me? And I'll say, let me ask you a question. Do you ever worry about anything? Oh, yeah, I worry about a lot of things. My kids and my job and all these things, these circumstances and situations. I worry, I worry, I worry. I said, if you can worry, you can meditate. They're both really close. It's just a matter of what you're thinking about. Get your mind off all the possibilities that may happen with your job or your children and get your mind on the things of God. What I do oftentimes is when I read a passage of Scripture— I'll always have a verse that pops out or two. I take those verses, write them down. I'm old school. Write them down on an index card. Some of you kids don't even know what that is. It's a little, little small card. Write them on an index card. Put it in my pocket. Carry it around with me. Read it. Read it. Read it. That's meditating. Just reading God. Just reading it over and over. Letting that word get in you. We are to meditate day and night because whatever shapes your thinking will shape your life. The more we grow in our understanding of God's word, the more it grows in its value to us. Charles Stanley, another one of my heroes, said this, time spent alone with the Lord in his word and prayer is crucial to the Christian life. And you ought to underline that word crucial, because it is. And he's right when he says next, if we neglect it, 
neglect God's word, if we neglect it, the delights of the world will quickly fill our mind and capture our hearts, drawing out the desire, drowning out the desire of God. If we neglect it, the delights of the world will quickly fill our mind, capture our heart, and drown out the desire for God. See, what you delight in is what will direct and develop your life. What are you delighting in? The things of the world or the things of God? So to have a 2020 life in 2020, we need to handle our relationships with care. We need to study scripture with consistency. And thirdly, you need to grow in your spiritual life. Grow in your spiritual life in commitment. With commitment to God. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, he is like a tree. Again, he's talking about this blessed man who delights in God's word. who doesn't listen to uh, wrong counsel. He said, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The picture here is of a tree. Big tree planted by a pond or a lake, some water that it needs to sustain life. And we all know that the most important part of that tree is the root system. What's down below. Because it's that root system that gives them the nourishment that it needs. And it gives them the stability to stand, withstand the winds and the storms. The same is true for our lives. We need to make sure our root system is planted firmly and deeply in Christ and that we are growing because we too will face storms of life. We too will face difficult times. And you cannot grow unless your roots are planted in the right place. So three things I want you to see about this verse. Number one, position. Position yourself in Christ. Position yourself in the source and the life of strength that comes from Jesus Christ. We need to always ask ourselves, where are our roots? Where are we planted? Are we planted in Christ? Because without Christ's source of life and strength, we become a tree with withered leaves that does not produce fruit. When we don't position ourselves in the truths and the promises of God and his word, we will be influenced by the ways of this world. You make sure your life is positioned in Christ and Christ alone. And also make sure you produce fruit that the Holy Spirit in you will allow you to do. Produce spiritual fruit for others. You know, when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a little theology here real quick, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that's mind-boggling when I think about that. But when you give your life to Christ, the Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes residence in you. Not in some temple somewhere. The Holy Spirit takes residence in you. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's different. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is taking over our mind, our thinking, our hearts, our desires, when the Holy Spirit begins to fill us, the Bible says you will produce fruit. It just happens. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that will come out of your life if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You produce this fruit that blesses others, that builds his kingdom, and most importantly, that glorifies God. Fruit comes from life. Understand that. You have to be growing in Christ. With that Holy Spirit filling you more and more. And when you're, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will produce fruit that will bless others. See, the apple tree doesn't produce apples for itself. It produces apples so I can go grab one and eat it because it's good. And that's what we do with our fruit. God uses fruit through the Holy Spirit to bless others. A person rooted in Christ will always be fruitful and true faith results in fruitfulness. Ask yourself, how fruitful are you? Do people see that spiritual fruit being produced in your life every day? Again, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third thing he says here is praise. Praise God for sh- in sharing your prosperity. And I, I want to talk a little bit about this verse because I know some of the things you may hear on TV here and there. The Bible says this, again, talking about this man who's blessed, who does the right things, listens to the right people, delights in God's word. says, in all that he does, he prospers. Does not say he guarantees health, wealth, and happiness. What the Bible means by prosperity is that when we apply God's word, and God's wisdom into our life, the fruit that we produce will receive God's stamp of approval. That's prosperity. Not the stuff you hear sometimes on TV where if you do this, God's going to bless you. Well, stop and think about that. You mean you got, if you do this, God's obligated to bless you. What kind of nonsense is that? Go read, go read the New Testament. Read the life of Paul. God's not obligated to bless you, but he does prosper what you do. And the obedient believer in Jesus Christ, we're to be a blessing to those around us with our fruit. It needs to be plentiful. We need to have the prosperity to bless others and honor God. And Oswald Chambers said years ago, the golden rule for our understanding in spiritual matters is not intellect, but obedience. I don't care how smart you are. You may be one of the smartest individuals in this church. And you may have some head knowledge about the things of this book. But Oswald Chambers, and he's right, he said it's not about intellect. It's about obedience. If you're going to be, if you be obedient to God's word and start doing the things that God talks about in his word, I promise you, you're going to grow in your spiritual life. Make sure you are deeply planted in Christ. Make sure the Holy Spirit is working in you so that fruit can be produced for others. Use the prosperity God has given you to bless others and bless God. Grow in your spiritual life. The truth I want to leave you with on this verse is those who are deeply planted in God's word will be fruitful in God's work. I can't say it any clearer than that. If you are deeply planted in God's word, you will be fruitful 
in God's work. So again, we're talking about how we have this 2020 life in the year 2020. We need to handle relationships with care. We need to study scripture with consistency. We need to grow in our spiritual life and commitment to Christ. And fourth, we need to reach non-believers with a conviction in our heart. The Bible says in verses four and five, the wicked, as he makes a transition from the blessed man who's blessed to now the man who's judged, he says the wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the wicked are pictured here as, uh, in many ways in scripture, but here pictured as chaff. And you, you may not know what chaff is, but when they threshed the wheat, when they would throw, throw the wheat up, get the heavy wheat to fall down, what was uh, not wheat would kind of blow away and they called that chaff. And it was rootless, it was useless, and it had no substance. It was gathered and burned. That's what they did with the chaff. In contrast to the trees that are right, the righteous and the saved with strong roots, here we have this chaff that represents the wicked and the lost. And they are spiritually dead and they are destined to be burned in fire. Understanding the destiny of our unsaved family members and friends should lead us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with conviction and with urgency. You need to see the reality of God's judgment. The Bible says that the wicked will not stand in the judgment. There is a coming day when the righteous judge will separate the trees from the chaff. There is coming a time for those who are outside of Jesus Christ to face this righteous judge and they will have no place to stand because they do not know him as they give an account for their life. It says no sinners will be in the congregation of the righteous. There's no place for wickedness and wicked people around God's people. The wicked way of life will be judged and thrown into the fire for eternity. Understand, time is short, life is uncertain, and heaven and hell are real. You need to see that reality of God's judgment, and it ought to move you to want to reach these non-believers. And share, share the gospel of Jesus Christ through your words and through your works. There are only two ways in life. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The outcome of the righteous is eternity in the glory of heaven. The outcome of the wicked is suffering and destruction in a burning hell. The time is always right to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When was the last time? When was the last time you shared the good news of Christ with someone? When's the last time you had a conversation about the spiritual things? When's the last time 
You talk to someone about how they can know true life in this broken world that we live in. When's the last time you had that conversation? When was the last time you tried? How about who's your one? Remember we spent all that time on who's your one? How's that going? Have you had a conversation with that person, that individual? See, I think we kind of just get on, just go through life and we don't think about these things. Listen, there is coming a judgment for our friends and our family members who don't know Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear on that. We have got to reach these non-believers with conviction. So see the reality of God's judgment. Share the gospel through good works. And most importantly, good words, the truth of God. And then start engaging in gospel-centered conversations daily. I'm convinced that our church, like most churches, needs more believers actively engaging in the lives of non-believers, with their neighbors, their classmates, their co-workers, those who don't know Jesus Christ, we need to be actively involved in their life by having conversations about the good news of Christ. I read in a recent study that women and men, I, th- I thought that was pretty amazing that both were, had the same number, but men and women, on the average, have 27 different conversations a day. I thought it'd been like 27 for men, for women and maybe five for men. But I was wrong. 27 conversations is what the the average person has every day. How many of those conversations are gospel-centered? Yeah, we can talk about Clemson football, football and NFL, whatever. We can talk about schools. We can talk about all these things. Uh -uh. We got to stop those things may be important for you, but in the, matter, in, my, in, in the light of eternity, they mean nothing. What matters is what lasts, and lasts, what lasts is the souls of men and women. Start engaging in gospel-centered conversations. Because I am convinced, and you may disagree, but I am convinced that more people are interested in hearing the gospel than most Christians are in sharing the gospel. I'm convinced of that. We've let society and our culture tell us, don't do these things. You'll be offensive. Don't, just, just don't talk about these things. We got to stop listening to that lie. That's wrong counsel. Take a stand for Christ. You try your best to move the conversations into a spiritual matter conversation. Talk about the gospel. Be convicted in your heart to reach these non-believers. And I love what old mountain preacher Vance Hadner said. He said, it's better to die for a conviction than to live with a compromise. And I think so many Christians today have compromised. Society has told us to be quiet, and guess what? We're quiet. Listen. Have gospel-centered conversations daily. Make it a matter of prayer. Listen, take every chance to ask searching questions. And guess what? Then listen. You know, people think to share the gospel or have a gospel-centered conversation, I got to come up with all these Bible verses to memorize. No, 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 no. Just ask them spiritual questions and listen. 
You know, one of the things I love to ask is, what do you think is going to happen to us when we die? And then listen. Listen to what they say. And then you can move right in to what you think and why you think it, because of what the Bible says and what the Bible is. I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard. We just don't do it. We're just too busy with everything else in our lives. Yeah, it'll, it'll slow you down. And I'm the world's worst. When I go into Walmart, which is not often, to pick up something for my wife or whatever we need, I'm looking up to find the aisle. I'm going to there and I'm getting out. That's what I want to do. That's wrong. Because I've never been to that Walmart where I didn't see someone that I knew. Slow down. People are dying and going to hell. We got to reach these non-believers with conviction in our heart. Take the chance to ask searching questions to one another. And then listen. So to have a 2020 life in the year 2020, we need to handle relationships with care. We need to study scripture with consistency. We need to grow in our spiritual life with commitment. We need to reach non-believers with conviction. And lastly, we need to secure our eternity with certainty. The last verse of this short but powerful psalm says this. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The last verse is simple, but it's direct. The eternity, the eternity of those who are in Christ, those who are righteous, is secured in glory. The wicked. Eternity is secured in judgment and separation from Christ in a horrific place called hell. A lot of times people don't want to preach on hell. It's not politically correct. Christ talked more about hell than almost anything else in the Bible. It's real. And I tell you this, and I want you to please hear me, the most important decision you can ever make in your life it's not who you're going to marry. It's not where you're going to work. The most important decision that you can ever make in your life is where are you going to spend eternity. That's a decision that you must make. I can't make that decision for you. It's the most important decision you will make. Because we need to understand that everyone will spend eternity in heaven or hell, period. There is no purgatory. There is no other place. When you die, when your time is up, you are going to either spend eternity in the glory and the splendor of heaven or you're going to spend eternity in a place where the Bible describes as weeping and gnashing your teeth, a place called hell. Eternally separated from Christ. Suffering. You're going to spend your eternity Somewhere. You know, I'm reminded of a poem that I have in my Bible, and I go to it often, author's unknown, but I want to share it with you real quick. It's called A Voice from Hell. It says, You lived next door to me for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, and tears. 
A friend to me, you were indeed a friend who helped me when in need. My faith in you was strong and sure. We had such trust as we should endure. No spats between us ever rose. Our friends were like, and so our foes. What sadness then, my friend, to find that after all, you weren't so kind. The day my life on earth did end, I found that you were not a faithful friend. For all those years we spent on earth, you never once talked about a second birth. You never spoke of my lost soul and of the Christ who can make me whole. I plead today from hell's cruel fire and tell you now my least desire. You cannot do a thing for me. No words today, my bonds will free. But do not air my friend again. Do all you can for the souls of men. Plead with them now quite earnestly, lest they be cast in hell with me. I read that often. I need to read that often. Man, everyone's going to spend eternity. You make sure you have secured your eternity. You make sure you know. Because the Bible says these things that I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. You make sure you secure your eternity. Also understand that every day, every day, you are closer to your eternal destination. I say this often, especially in funerals. Today, listen, today, you are closer to death than you were yesterday. People don't like to hear that, but that's true. And tomorrow, you'll be even more closer to death than you are today. Every day, make your life matter. Make a difference for Christ. Understand that everything, everything you see, everything that you do, think, act, is seen by God. Live a life that would honor him. David Jeremiah said this. If you're a Christian, you should never be confused about who you are, why you are here, and where you are going. That will settle at Calvary. That will settle when you are born again. So let me get, kind of give you one final truth, promise for this entire passage, and that's it. Guard and cultivate purity and Christ-likeness in your thoughts and actions. I want you to live that 2020 life in the year 2020. You guard your mind. You guard your thoughts. You guard your actions. Cultivate them in a, in a way that honors Christ, in a way that pictures Christ. So, let me give you, in closing, just a few things to, I think you can use this psalm to apply to your life. Because we can teach for Information, but you need to teach and preach for application, how this is going to impact me. And first thing I want you to see as we apply this psalm is that we are called to be light, the light of the world, not to blend with its darkness. You ought to stand out. Not because you go around saying, look at me. You ought to stand out because people look at you and say, there's something different about you. They ought to see Christ in you. 
And again, we've let society tell us, oh, don't offend people, don't do this. And guess what? We blend in with the darkness. You be a light for Christ. I don't care where you're going, who you're with, you be a light for Christ. You let them see Jesus Christ in you. Not because you're saying all these things. They just see it. They can just, they just know it. You be that light for Christ. Number two, the less you associate with some people, the more your life will improve. I don't want to get to meddling here, but some of you got some people that you're fellowshipping with that you don't need to be fellowshipping with. They're having more of a negative impact on you than you are on them. Now listen, I'm all about having relationships with lost people so that you can have an opportunity to share Christ. But don't be comfortable socializing, fellowshipping, hanging out with the wrong people because your life will improve when you separate yourself from some of those people. Number three, a person who delights in God's word doesn't have to be told to read it. He or she longs for it. That's a good way to know if you delight in God's word. Do you like live your day where you're like, gosh, I get a chance to read God's word. You know, you have a quiet time or, or time that you read God's word, whatever you want to call it. Do you get excited? I get to read the word of God. I have it in a language that I can understand. I have all these commentaries that help me understand the parts I don't understand. But God's given me a love letter. Delight in God's word. Long for it. Don't just set it aside. Don't just occasionally glance at it. It is, it is your owner's manual. It is your compass. It is your love letter from God. I think that deserves to be read. Read it. Number four, the key to meditate, meditating on scripture is perseverance and patience. And listen, it is an un hurried process. And I think that's why so many people do not meditate on God's word because they don't know how, number one. Number two, they don't want to take the time to meditate on God's word. It is an unhurried process. You can't do it fast. You can't meditate on God's word for 15 seconds and be done. You can't do it. You have to live with it. You have to let it get inside you. I use the picture, and it's not a real pretty picture of a cow. I see Paul, veterinarian there, he may, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but cow has four stomachs, and they chew and graze all day long, and then they do what they call chewing the cud. And basically, what they're doing is vomiting up, I'm not sorry, what they ate, and they chew on it again. That's what you ought to do with God's Word. Get it inside you. Get it inside you, bring it back up and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. I'm telling you, there's power in meditating on God's scripture and you just read it over and over. And if you read it and meditate on it, I promise you, you'll memorize it. It makes it easy to memorize when you meditate on God's word. And lastly, we've said this a lot and I'm gonna say it again. You pray daily for God to give you and me an opportunity to speak with someone about Jesus, the wisdom to see it, and the courage to take it.
Chet Lawless wrote that. And I think that is, that is fantastic. That's a fantastic prayer that you ought to pray every day. Lord, here I am, reporting the service. I'm praying that you're going to give me an opportunity today to speak to someone about Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. And Lord, I pray you're going to give me the wisdom to see it. And then, Lord, give me the courage to not be quiet, not say anything. Give me the courage to take it and share with that person the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, I wish all of you a happy new year uh, as we usher in 2020 in a couple of days. And I pray and I pray, and I pray that you will have a 2020 life in the year 2020.